going to read in a moment from Psalm number 85. Psalm number 85, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. It's great to have Brianna with us today and to have Jim leading our missions committee. And thank you for the team that serves us in that way. There is a certain amount of our budget every year that's set aside to help people go across culture and across into other parts of the world. That team is needing more people on it right now, on our missions committee. And so if that's the way that you would feel called to serve here in this local body, then I would encourage you please to speak to one of the staff or to Jim. That would be a blessing. Psalm 85 verse 10 says this. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Do you like kissing? <laughs> this is a great kiss. And I'm going to spend a few moments this morning expounding the intimacy that this scripture describes between righteousness and peace. Notice the progression in the text of intimacy. It begins, first of all, with someone who meets. And you don't kiss when you first meet, right? Of course not. That there's steadfast love and faithfulness meet. And then there's a progression of that intimacy using the word kiss. Not only is there a progression in the text of intimacy, there's a progression in the text of vocabulary, beginning with the word steadfast love meeting faithfulness, and then switching to the word righteousness, kissing, peace. So righteousness in the text is a progression of understanding. What does steadfast love look like? If we ask the question, how does God love me steadfastly? The answer in the progression of this text is that God loves us steadfastly by being righteous. That is how God loves us. God loves steadfastly by only ever doing what is right all the time. Can you imagine if God ever failed for a moment, for an instance of not doing what is right all the time and the implications that that would have for our understanding of his love for us? Happy Father's Day to you, man. If God has called you, blessed you to be a father, God be with you. God help you. But to men in general, let me say this. There is an, a deep instinct in us to want to do what is right all the time so that we could learn the trust and the respect of people that we are that kind of person and that it would bring peace into our home and into our, our relationships. But the truth is that we aren't that righteousness that brings peace into our homes all the time. And it's important that we know the righteousness of God, as Paul read earlier from Psalm 118, as men, that, that we not simply seek the reputation because it can make us egotistical. It can make us proud. It can make us defensive. It can make us insular. 
until we grasp where righteousness truly lives and truly thrives. And it, it liberates us. It frees us to know that in hum, being humbled before him, that we are in the presence of true righteousness. It is a, is a wonderful thing. Righteousness and peace kiss each other means that peace comes to us when we are assured that there is somewhere in this world, there is something in this created existence where we can look where there is something other than unrighteousness. Imagine that the, the peace that, that, that would thwart us and never be able to come to us, if there was nowhere that we could go that was safe, where it would, what is right is being done. But that's why righteousness and peace, peace <laughs> and peace kiss each other is because of this reality that in this world there is a place and there is an experience that we can go to that never fails when it comes to doing what is right. It's a marvelous thing. Here's my main point that I would like to get across this morning. This kiss, it is an intimacy. It is an intermingling. It's, it's using human vocabulary of something that we understand very well. And I hope you can see why, why the word kiss is employed here very intentionally. This intimacy, relationship between righteousness and peace. They are connected one to the other. See, the opposite would also be true. If I read, if I were to say the opposite, that unrighteousness kisses anxiety. You'd get that too, right? When we are in the presence where we don't have confidence of that what is right is being done, it makes us anxious. It stresses us out. And as soon as unrighteousness entered into this world, not by God's activity, but by human activity and, and by Satan's deception to say, to, to, to plant that seed of doubt, is God really doing what is right with you? Can you really trust God that, that what he has told you, that it's, that it's right, that God isn't failing to do what's right? As soon as that was doubted, and unrighteousness came into the world. Peace evaporated in the world. People were blaming each other. Brothers were killing each other within a few chapters of the opening of the scripture. There's three questions that I'm going to use this morning to frame my thoughts. So they're based on Pastor Paul's message last week, which was so helpful, where he asked three questions. The first was, do you believe the scriptures? It's so critical for the founding and the work of a church. Second was, can you hear the gospel? Also critical for the church to be a church. And the third one was, can you see Jesus? And so along those lines, I'm going to ask, first of all, with regards to this kiss, what do the scriptures declare? This has to do with displaying God's beauty. What do the scriptures declare? Scriptures declare God as the righteous one. Not a righteous one, but the righteous one. Not one who is righteous among many righteous, 
but one who is uniquely righteous, one who possesses righteousness in a way that no one else ever does. What does it mean for God to be righteous? If I asked you that question, what would you say? What does it mean that, that, that God is righteous? I asked myself that question recently. And that long pause was my answer. <laughs> Lord, what does it mean that, that, that you are righteous? I, I, I know what it means for the creature to be righteous. I know what it, it means for those of us that are, are created and living under your rule and, and hearing your word. I, I know what it means for us to learn righteousness, for us to submit and to gain righteousness. But for the uncreated, What does it mean? And so my goal in asking that question is just to slow us down. In conversations about righteousness, I, people, and myself included, we often quickly skip to the end and say, yes, isn't it wonderful that, that, that God is righteous and, and then he's made us righteous in Jesus. Yes, it is a wonderful truth and we'll get there, but I just wanna slow the thought process down a little bit and go back to, but where does it all begin? What is it that's kissing peace? What does it mean for the uncreated to be righteous? God does not learn righteousness. God does not obtain righteousness. God does not submit to any rules outside of himself. He simply is righteous. He is the righteous one. It is connected to his infinite, his uncreated and his eternal self in a way that is beyond our comprehension, a way that is beyond our, our understanding. And it is the threshold that we all need to be able to cross in order to get into the worship of a righteous God. And it is the threshold of awe. It is a threshold of wonder. It is a threshold of, of marvel at this one who is so infinite, who, who simply is and does what is right simply because he is the one who is uncreated and unequaled. And it is the foundation of his throne. It's no wonder Isaiah 40 says this to the people of God, that, that who can you compare me to? What will you compare me to? Let me read some more scriptures. They'll be on the screen for you to see as well about the righteousness of God. Just listen to these words that are from mostly the Psalms. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. Your righteousness is forever and your law is true. 
Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever. God is righteous in and of himself. It is a refuge for us to run into, to know that there is some place in this world that never fails to do what is right all the time. What does the gospel proclaim? That is what the scriptures declare, but what does the gospel proclaim? This is asking the question, really God? This is looking at the integrity of God. Do do you really do what is right? Do you never, really never fail in doing what is right all of the time? What does the, the gospel proclaim about a God who never fails to do what is right? Listen to Romans 1.17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then also for the Greeks. Those words, I hope, are familiar to you. Paul says, I, I believe in the gospel. It's powerful. But do you know what the next words say? It says this about the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Wow. The reason Paul says that the gospel is so powerful for salvation is because there is something revealed in the gospel. There's something put on display in the gospel, and it is the righteousness of God. That is what the gospel proclaims. It puts on display for us this God who is righteous. Why is that so important? Because righteousness and peace kiss each other in the pursuit of peace. Righteousness is proclaimed to us in the gospel. And to the degree that we understand how the gospel proclaims righteousness to us is the degree to which we understand and how we obtain the peace that God promises us. I don't think I have to say much about how significant it is for our lives to have peace and how difficult we are to live with when our lives lack peace. Our praise is muted. Our prayers can be cold. Intimacy is difficult. Our view of the world is cynical, despairing. All of those things is what our lives look like when we're not at peace in ourselves, when we are under stress. How do we get there? How do we get to peace? It's, it's through what is proclaimed to us in the gospel. See, the gospel isn't merely a mechanism to get saved. We often reduce the gospel to that. It's just, it's just something that you have to do in order to stay out of hell. But it's so very much more than that. The gospel does indeed save us, saves us. But it's clear in the scriptures. But what the gospel does for those who are saved is it puts on display for us the righteousness of God. That's why the psalmist could say, save me, O God, according to your righteousness. 
In the gospel, we understand a God who is doing what is right for us, to us, all the time. That is significant to believe because sometimes we doubt it. If you read through the Old Testament prophets, the reason righteousness is used so often, not only because it is the foundation of God's throne and the people must be reminded of it over and over again, but because there's nothing that God's people doubt more than the questions, well, how, Lord? How is it that you have not failed to do what is right all the time? I have grief, Lord. I have pain. I have suffering. I look around me and I see a world that is full of injustice. And we look up at the heavens that proclaim his righteousness and we say, Lord, I don't see it. Where is it? Show it to me. And we need to know how to have those conversations with ourselves. As Pastor Paul has introduced the great subject of self-talk to us. They don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Well, what subject are you going to pick up with yourself? What are you going to talk to yourself about? And the gospel says, talk to yourself about God and the righteousness that is possessed by him, that he never, ever fails to only ever do what is right. I'm reading through the book of Job right now, and I, I am realizing how significant and important that it is that I do include it. I include it in a portion of my Bible reading that I call, that's called wisdom literature. And the words of Job, of, of grief, are so helpful and so striking. Listen, listen to this. He, he says of God, you've, you've shriveled me up, Lord. You've torn me in your wrath. You have hated me. God has gnashed his teeth at me. Men gape at me with their mouth. They, they strike me with insolence. God gives me up to the ungodly. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surrounded me. He slashes open my kidneys and he does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. That's grief, that's agony. And it's experiences like that that bring many people to this conclusion, that if God is good, then there is no God. But if God is God, then God is not good. And that's everywhere in our culture. And we need to know how to deal with it in our own souls and deal with it in the conversations of people who don't know anything about God. And the Bible doesn't respond to that by declaring a God who never permits evil. The Bible responds by saying that God has put his righteousness on display in the gospel. And righteousness and peace kiss each other most intimately on the cross, on the cross of Jesus Christ. See, the cross isn't just a mechanism for us to get saved. The cross is a place that, that puts on display for us what we need for life and godliness. 
the cross of Jesus, the blood that was shed there. Paul says this in Romans 3.25. says was that it was to show the righteousness of God. How does the cross show that God is righteous? The cross shows God doing what is right because he says, I'm not going to overlook sin. I'm not going to say, well, yeah, that's okay. Well, that, that, that doesn't matter. As Paul says in Romans 3, God could never judge justly if he ever failed for a moment to not do what is right. And so the cross is the demonstration of God doing what is right and giving unrighteousness its just reward. And by coming to this earth and bearing that consequence in his own body. Through the cross, righteousness and peace kiss. Through the righteousness that is on display on the cross, we find peace with God. And not only the cross, but lifting our eyes to the end, as the scripture says, when we worship, particularly when we eat and drink, that we do so until he comes. Revelation 19 describes him coming on a white horse. And he comes, it says, to judge the nations with righteousness. That is what the gospel proclaims. What has Jesus delivered is the final question. What has Jesus delivered? This is to display God's grace. Jesus delivers to us what we could never possess ourselves. Jesus gives to us a righteousness that we could never possess on our own by being good. He delivers the gift of a righteousness that is not our own. That is something that is given to us vicariously through our faith in Jesus Christ. That God sees us as righteous. People don't like being judged. They say, oh, well, I want to serve a God who doesn't judge. I don't want to be judged and I don't want to be judged by God. Well, that's what the cross is all about. We have been judged. That's what it means to be justified. It means that we have been judged and proved righteous, but not through the works of our own, but through the works of another. That's why we worship Jesus. <laughs> that's why there's a song that's been going through my head all morning and it's, it goes like this. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me, the fairest of 10,000 is my precious Lord to me. So the question in this world for us is not will God act righteously? He will, and with justice. The question for us is will we see God act righteously with justice in Christ through our faith or outside of Christ through unbelief. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians describes the amazing worth that he attributes to Christ for this. He says, whatever I gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. It, it, an amazing perspective, isn't it? Not a, why, Lord? <laughs> Digging into things, saying, I won't give that up, but that they're all worthless to me. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Lord Jesus, please give us faith. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, help us, Lord, to see you. May the rich not boast in their riches. Or the wise boast in their wisdom. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he knows me and understands me. Lord, help us to stand in awe and wonder of you. For your righteousness. For the refuge that it is for us for the sanctuary that it is for us to run into and to be saved. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to transfer all of our hope and longings and desires and wealth onto Jesus. Lift our eyes today to see him, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand again? Let's sing together.